We've been working our way through the letter to the Romans, written by Paul, who was one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons. And he's been explaining uh, and proclaiming to the church in Rome about the good and glorious news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ alone saves sinners. Uh, and we've seen that, uh, that Paul has, has been having to answer and respond to objections, not only to his gospel, but to the reception of this gospel, this good news message. Because Paul, a Jew, uh, in, by and large, in his experience of sharing the gospel and as he's going out through the known world at that time, he has seen rejection after rejection of the Jews to this message that he has proclaiming. The Gentiles, by and large, are coming in droves to Christ. Uh, but at synagogue after synagogue, Paul is being kicked out, being beaten, and being left for dead. What does this mean about this message that Paul is sharing? Do, does, it, does it mean that, that God uh, is not keeping his promises? That more Jews aren't being saved and that the Gentiles are being redeemed? No, Paul says. Uh, Paul appeals to the, the sovereign, gracious work of God in salvation, that God has not lost any that He promised to redeem. It's the children of promise that He has sought to save, and He has shown mercy to all that He has intended to show mercy. He's hardened those that He hardened. And He is redeeming and saving and bringing a remnant out of Israel and saving the Gentiles into a relationship with Him. So it isn't that, that God's Word has, has failed. God is not to blame. We see, as Paul pointed to the responsibility of Israel, and they're rejecting this message and seeing that what they've been seeking to do has been to, to make, uh, establish their own righteousness, not submitting to the righteousness that God proclaims that comes through Jesus. They've been seeking to approach God's law and by that means find themselves acceptable before Him as opposed to coming to God in faith. The Gentiles are, are being saved and redeemed because they are coming to Christ in faith, and the Jews are being rejected because they are pursuing in their own strength, trying to merit their salvation before God. And Paul says that they are doing this uh, without knowledge. They have a passion and a zeal for the law, but it's without knowledge. In ignorance, they are pushing away this good news message of the gospel. But that might bring up another question. If the, the Jews aren't understanding this, does that maybe mean that, that Paul has misunderstood God's revelation? Maybe this means that his understanding of what the Old Testament taught is, is wrong. Maybe, the, is it, maybe it comes down to, is it God's fault? That, that he hasn't been clear enough in communicating to his people how it really is that you've been, that you go about being saved and made into a restored and right relationship with him. Or, or does it that mean that for the longest time, during the, the time of Moses up to Jesus, that, that maybe God's people were saved by keeping the law? And now that Jesus has come, things have changed, and that's why the Jews aren't coming to faith in Jesus. All these are good questions. What does it, what does it mean? Has the means of salvation changed with the coming of Christ? Has God been unclear or 
uh, in, as Paul in error in the way that he's communicating the good news of the gospel? Those are things that we want to look at and see because it's very important for us to understand the character of our God, the means by which humans come into a restored and right relationship with our God, and the character and honor of our God is at stake, as we've seen Paul communicating thus far. So let's look together. We're in Romans uh, chapter 10. Uh, We're going to look at verses 5 through 13 together this morning. I'm going to pick up in verse 4 just to keep the, uh, our context as we remember where Paul left off last week, going down through verse 13. And if you're following along in one of the black Bibles in your seats, this is on page 946. So Romans 10, beginning in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this good news message of the gospel. Uh, We thank You that You have uh, revealed and demonstrated Your power and Your righteousness through the sending of Your Son. Uh, We pray this morning uh, that we would, as we understand more and more about the truth of the gospel and the means of salvation, that we would respond with knowledge and not in ignorance, that we would submit to your righteousness as you've revealed it to us in Christ through faith. Open up the scriptures to us this morning, that Christ would be glorified, uh, and that we would always believe and call and trust in Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So remember what Paul has been talking about. about The Gentiles are recognizing that its righteousness comes through faith. They're looking to and trusting in God for righteousness. But the Jews, he says, is seeking a righteousness that is based on the law. Notice how he ended up our time last week in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, does that mean that what Paul is saying here is that up to the point of Christ coming, the law was the means to righteousness? That by living that way, one could be saved. And now that Christ has come, he's brought an end to that. 
Is now there a new way of salvation? Well, notice as he seeks to explain it, he goes in verse 5 and he points us to Moses. Moses was the one through whom God redeemed and brought his people out of Egypt in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And it was through Moses that God revealed to his people and gave them his law. And notice what it seems Paul is saying here that Moses did write about righteousness through the law. Look at what he says in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Is, Is that what Paul's saying? Is that Paul's understanding? That the revelation that Moses gave was that the, one, the way one was made right and brought into a right relationship with God or justified or saved was through keeping the law. Uh, here, he's appealing to what Moses wrote in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And it seems here that what Paul is doing is contrasting what Moses wrote here with righteousness through faith. You see how he does that? Look in, picking up in verse 5 again. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But in verse 6 it says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Is, is Paul telling us that Moses is opposed to righteousness based on faith? That the way one was saved in the Old Testament was by keeping the law. Well, in order for us to understand it, we need to look at the context. Uh, Earlier this week, we were uh, reading uh, the Bible together as a family. We were in a portion of the gospel where Jesus has sent out 72 of his followers to uh, proclaim the good news of the message to the people in the area. And they were amazed and overwhelmed at the the power of God that they saw demonstrated through them as uh, demons were listening to them and being cast out of people as people were believing in Christ and healing was happening. And they came back and they were rejoicing. And Jesus said to them, "Uh, don't, that's great, but don't marvel at that. Marvel at the fact that your name is written in heaven. We had this question of what does it mean that your name is written in heaven and how does your name get written in heaven? And one of the kids said, well, at first, my first thought was it seems like that Jesus is saying their name is written in heaven because of all these great things they did for Jesus as they went out through the countryside. But they immediately said, but I know that can't be true because that's not how it works. You see, that's, they're applying a very important uh, part of how we interpret Scripture. We let the more clear places of Scripture help us interpret the less clear places. And here, at first, it seems like what Paul is telling us is that Moses taught and wrote that righteousness comes through keeping the law. Well, let's look and see. Look over. Turn to Leviticus. Let's look at the context. Leviticus chapter 18. So look in beginning in verse 1. Verse 5 is where Paul quotes. We'll start in verse 1. 
and Yahweh. I'll read that as Yahweh. We've, uh, we've talked about this before. Notice in your translation, it's probably capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is talking about and, and referencing the covenant name of God. This is going to be important as we go through here. Notice how, how this is how God is referring to him in this interaction with God's people. So Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. Notice first in this passage, the living that Paul is talking about here, or that Moses is referencing here, which actually comes from the mouth of God himself, is not talking about justification. It's not talking about salvation, first off. But also notice that in the context, what comes first? The keeping of the law and then the relationship with God is established? Or does the relationship with God come first? Notice here that here in Leviticus, the giving of the law came prior to this, but the context in which he's talking about is he's referencing his redeeming of the people out of Egypt, which that came before giving the law. God is relating and talking to his people, and he's telling them, I am your covenant God. I have redeemed you. I have saved you. I brought you out of Egypt. And do you remember the, the, the order in which God, as He redeemed and saved His people, He brings them to Mount Sinai, and as He gives them the law. The law doesn't start like this. If you keep my law, then you will be my people. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then He gives them the law. You see, the, the flow and the way that God relates to His people is it's always what God has done comes first. Then the call for what He's calling His people to do. The, the redeeming work of God comes prior to the giving of the law. And we see Him referencing that here. He starts off in this context already talking and and referring to a people who have experienced his great work of redemption out of Egypt. And that came prior to them keeping the law. And even here, he references being the, the movement and the taking of them to Canaan. But then as he goes on, he says, You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. Why is God saying keep these? Not so that you can be a part of my people. It's because you are part of my people. Because I have redeemed you and I have saved you. You see, sometimes people want to think and look at the covenant made with Abraham, which Paul has already emphasized and said that it was righteousness through faith. When was Abraham declared to be righteous? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was before his righteousness was not based on his keeping the law. But 
This covenant that God is establishing here with Moses flows out of and builds upon the covenant made with Abraham. Who is the people that God is redeeming? It's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is God bringing and redeeming them out of Egypt? Because of what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is he taking them to Canaan? Because of what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God, the same covenant promises, and the same means of salvation. There has not been multiple ways to be saved. There's always and only been one way of salvation, and it's by grace, through faith, and trusting in the God who promises. We look to what God has done, not to what we do. But if that's the case, is, is Paul distorting this? Why would he, he talk about it? Because he goes on to say, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. It still seems like back over in Romans, Paul is contrasting the righteousness of faith with what Moses is writing. What is this righteousness of faith that Paul is talking about there in verse 6? The righteousness of, based on faith says, is, is this coming from the mind of Paul? Is he coming up with this and his theological just constructions in his head? No. You know who he's quoting here? You know who, whose words he refers to of who the righteousness based on faith, who it is that's speaking? It's Moses. The same guy revealing the same covenant. In fact, if we look at where he's quoting, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want you to listen. This is later after this where Paul quotes. Listen and see if you see similar language to what Moses is saying in, actually what God is saying through Moses in Deuteronomy 30 and what we just heard in Leviticus. See, I have set before you today life and death, good and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that I command you today by loving Yahweh your God and walking in His ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. He continues to go on. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish if you disobey God. You shall not live in the land that you are going to, to over to dwell into the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving Yahweh your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days, so that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Sounds very similar. Do these, follow me, trust me, obey me, and live. Experience life. Is Moses contradicting himself? Is God contradicting himself? Has he changed the way that he relates to his people? No. You see, what's going on here is Moses is, or Paul here is referring to uh, a common misinterpretation of Moses at this time. 
You see, remember what, what Paul told us before, that Israel has stumbled over the stumbling stone of this understanding that righteousness comes through faith. Here, they have, in contemporary Jewish writings at the time, they latch on to this verse out of Leviticus and use it as the defining verse and structure for how they relate to God. That if we keep the law, God will give us eternal life is their understanding of it. In fact, if we, you want to see that this is uh, the case, not directly citing this verse, but listen to what Jesus says when he is uh, interacting with the Pharisees in John chapter 5. Uh, he says in John 5, 45, uh, do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. What are the Pharisees and the Jews at the time doing? They're setting their hope on Moses, on keeping the law, that salvation will come from him. But what does Jesus say? For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe in me? Jesus is saying all that Moses wrote pointed to him. Moses never wrote of righteousness through keeping the law. The Jews have distorted and twisted this. And Paul is seeking to expose and make that apparent. Oh, you say Moses wrote that life, eternal life comes through keeping the law? Well, let's look at what righteousness through faith says. Only for those who have been informed and known that the one who speaks of righteousness by faith is Moses. It's been consistent throughout all the Old Testament scriptures. There is one way to be saved, by trusting in the promised one who would come. It was not the case that one was saved by grace through faith from Abraham to Moses, and then Moses entered into some sort of covenant that depended on their law-keeping until Jesus came, and then when Jesus came around, now all of a sudden grace has opened up to people and you no longer need to keep the law. No, what Paul is saying. Uh, it's the focus has always been on what God has done. We must look to what God has done, not to our own efforts or what we can do. There has always and only been one way to be saved. It's God's grace extended to His people. It's God calling His people to look to what He has done on their behalf, not to what they do or could do. But notice, as He, as he goes on... He, he not only wants us to, to see and recognize that we're, not to, uh, that we're to, to look to what God has done and not what we do, but also he's drawing us to, to understand that the gospel is calling us to look to the one who comes to those who can't. Look back at what Moses is uh, saying here as he speaks about the righteousness through faith that Paul quotes in verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This, in the section in Deuteronomy chapter 30 where Paul is quoting this, as the law has been given to the people, the people are, are beginning to, uh, to despair as they think about the law and how great it is and how heavy the weight is. And so they begin to ask these questions. Well, who's going to go get it for us? 
and bring it to us? Who's going to go up into heaven and bring this law to us so that we can know it and hear it and keep it? And, or who's going to go across the sea? In, the, in Deuteronomy, the language is actually uses sea, but Paul changes it to the language of abyss because in the Hebrew mind, those two things were related. It, it's a, a chasm or a depth, a length that humanity is not able to go across and do in themselves. And so they're, they're saying, who's going to go across this, this great sea and, and bring the law to us that we can know it and hear it and keep it? And what does Moses tell them? Don't say that. What does righteousness through faith tell you? Don't focus on yourself because you can't do those things. Could, could you, as God entered into his people, was it humanity that went up into the highest of heavens to where God was and went into God's presence and took the law from God and brung it down to humanity? No. What? Think about even when the people of Israel were redeemed in Egypt, they came to the edge of the Red Sea. Did they in their own strength and their own power cross the sea to find deliverance? No. What happened? God came and did what they couldn't do. Moses is telling them, as you, as you look at this law, don't get overwhelmed by, by looking at it and being focused on trying to do things that you can't do. It's not in your strength. It's not in your power. It's not in your ability to keep this law and to please God. And Paul is saying the same thing here. He says, and applying it to us now. Don't say, well, who's going to ascend into heaven to bring Christ down? Can we do that? Can you? Did you have anything to do in any human of going up into the highest of heavens to the Son of God and bringing Him, incarnating Him into flesh and bringing Him here onto this planet. No, we can't do that. It is impossible. Think about how hard it is even for us to escape our atmosphere. They're trying to go back to the moon. They keep blowing up rockets because it's hard. They try to crash on the moon. Their billions of dollars are just scattered over the face of the moon because they can't figure this out. It's hard. It's difficult. How much harder is it for you to go into the presence of one who is outside of space and time, who is eternal, who is infinite? Can we do that? No, Paul says. Or can you descend into the abyss? Could you go down and bring the dead Christ back to life in the grave? No. You can't do it. If you can't do those things, then why would you ever think that you could do anything to secure your means to salvation? We are those who should recognize ourselves as those who can't. And we must look to the one who can. Notice how Moses points us there. Look in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. How did the law come near? How did the people get God's revelation? He came to them. He came to them. Why do they have the law? Because God acted and moved. Why are they out of Egypt? Because God acted. 
Why have they been redeemed and why did they have the provision of the sacrificial system to deal with their sin? Because God came. And why will their hearts be changed in order to obey and love and follow Him? Because God acted and moved. And Paul is saying the same thing. Look, this word that is near you in your heart and in your mouth, you're not going to go, God must come to you. And this, this message is the same message, Paul says, is this word of faith that we proclaim. Paul here is telling us that the message of the gospel, the message, in fact, of the entire scriptures is God coming to man. B, show this picture. One of my seminary professors said that this drawing right here summarizes all of scripture. You can draw it in your bulletin, write it down, kids, Pin it on the back of your hand. The line is the separation between the creator and the creature. And notice the direction of the arrow. It comes down. There is no arrow up. We can't go that way. Our sovereign God in His grace and His mercy comes to His creatures, doing what we never could do in order to redeem and save us out of His free grace and His love, and His mercy. We must look to what He has done, not what we do. We must look to the one who can do, because we can't. Why do you think it necessitated the death of the Son of God? Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, if salvation could come by any other means, then Christ died for no reason. If it was hypothetically possible that you could keep the law and merit your salvation, then really, technically, there was no need for Christ to die. But we know that's not true. The only means of salvation was the death of the Son of God on behalf of sinners. Well, well, if that's true, if, if we can't do anything, and only God is the one who can do it, if we're completely unable, unable, and He can, then, then where does that leave us? What is the right response? What do we do? What is the means of salvation? Well, look at what Paul says. It's the word of faith that he's proclaiming. And look in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice, it's faith. You can't do anything. Faith is recognizing. It's all what God has done. I am completely unable. I can't cross the line. I can't save myself. I can't force and make God do anything. I am helpless. I must call out. It is only by faith, Paul says. Believe. Believe in Jesus. Trust and hope in Him. Look to what He has done, not what you do. Look at what He can and has accomplished and recognize what you can't. And the promise here of the gospel is... Only a few people who believe will be saved. Some of you who believe 
will be saved. Others who believe won't be saved. No. No. Look at what he says. For the Scripture says, everyone, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call to Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God doesn't send special grace to some people who uh, they, they are saved by, by faith, but then there's other people who they have to work at it. No. There's only one way. And there's only and always been one way. Jews have only and always been saved through one way, believing and hoping and trusting in the promises of God. And Gentiles, this same good news message is for you. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. This, this is good news. This is incredible news. Because all of us who are sitting here and who recognize our inability to be able to save or do anything to please our God, this is God proclaiming clearly throughout all of the Scriptures that I have done what you can't. Rest and hope and trust in me. What you can't do, I did. And it is sufficient. And when you look and call on me, you will be saved. Now we'll see later in chapter 12 as Paul then relates and helps us understand more what does that mean about our keeping the law and living to honor and glorify our God. But let this sink in now. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do to be saved. The call is believe. If you're here this morning, you've been in the context of churches that have proclaimed and said, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to do some other things too. Baptism, confession, penance to be saved. It's false teaching. It's a false gospel. You will not be saved that way. You can't go up the arrow. Only Jesus saves. What this also means is those of you who, who continue to experience shame and grief and guilt over your sin and your ongoing failures to keep God's law and you wonder, will this mean I can lose my salvation? Will this mean God will reject me? No. No, because what is the basis? Your law-keeping? No, it's, it's faith and trust in Jesus and what He has done. And Jesus has perfectly kept the law. Jesus is your righteousness. That is why, back in verse 4, Paul said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. You can give up those pursuits. Paul's exploding those false concepts of what it means to relate rightly to God. Here, the call and the invitation for those of you who do not believe in Jesus. The call this morning is to believe and have faith in the one who can and does save sinners. For those of you who would call yourself a believer, you would say, I am 
professing faith in Christ, I recognize that God raised Jesus from the dead and that I deserve that death. And I'm trusting and resting in Him. Hear this good news. You have been saved. Nothing will change that because it was based on what God did for you. And that is good, good news. God is on the move. He's working. He's saving His people. And it's based totally and completely on what He is doing for us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the hope of the Gospel. We thank You for what You proclaim to us throughout the Scriptures on every page that our God saves and redeems sinners by grace through faith. Turn our hearts more and more to Christ to hope in Him and rest in Him. Amen.